outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 233. And today, Dan and I are back together again, and we're discussing his life-changing elk hunt in Colorado and my downright disappointing trip to North Dakota. Before we kick things off, though, we want to thank our friends at Lacrosse Boots for their support of this podcast episode. And if you're a white-tailed deer hunter, and I, I gotta believe if you're listening to this show, you probably are. Um, otherwise, I gotta believe you're really bored with what we've been talking about over all these years. But assuming you're a white-tailed deer hunter, I personally haven't found a better boot to recommend to you than one of these Lacrosse rubber knee-high boots. I really like their Arrowhead and Alpha Burley Pro models. I've been using those two over the past six or seven years now, I think. You know, they're both they're both waterproof. They're available in a number of different insulation levels for whatever temperature range you're going to be hunting in. Um, I'm going with the 800-gram Thinsulate version this year. That seems to be warm enough for the late season, but I'm not miserable hiking around in them in the early season. Not too hot. Um, so, Different insulation levels, they are comfortable enough to hike in and out for even long distances to your stand. You know, last week in Montana, it was probably four miles, give or take, that I was going in and out every day to that stand, and it was fine with those boots. Not to mention the rubber construction on these Alpha Burleys or on these Arrowheads, that rubber prevents them from holding on to too much odor, making them a great option for those of us who are trying to be as scent-free as possible. So, Great options, and if you'd like to check out what Lacrosse Boots has to offer you and other whitetail guys and girls like us, you can head on over to lacrossefootwear.com. All right, welcome back to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And for the first time in a pretty decent while, we are here for just a good old-fashioned Mark and Dan BS session, and it feels so good to say that. <laughs> no plans, no expectations. I love that because the, the thing for me is I'm always really good at under-promising and then occasionally over-delivering, so I think that's <laughs> that's the game plan for today. 
So basically what you're telling everyone now is it's, you're going to tell them it's a good podcast, but we're going to weigh under deliver. Yeah. Like for this probably just jinx the whole thing, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Um, dude, I, I've been in just a, just a tizzy of chaos the last couple of days. Yeah. So I literally ran this. <laughs> this is the truth. I literally ran into my house just before starting to record this I ran over to my son and kissed him goodnight, hurried over into my office, and took off my pants. Um. <laughs> and that's it? Yep. And that's it? Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a prerequisite to take off my pants before recording this podcast. Wow. So you're and sitting there in just your underwear. I am. Just in my underwear for you tonight. And <laughs> and I did that for a reason, though. It's because I was worried that I might get have poison ivy on me. Because I was oh, just in boy. the woods all day working on tree stands, and yep. I just thought to myself, "Oh gosh, these are probably poison ivy covered pants." And if you sit here recording a podcast, you're gonna be like touching your legs and not thinking about it, and then touch your face. And I can't be having that. So, nope. pantsless for poison ivy precautions. Uh, so that's that's my state of mind right now. Um, <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> so perfect, perfect way to start this podcast. Um, what I what I do, there are a few things that I did have on my list of things I want to make sure we did talk about. Really just two that we have to cover. Um, number one, we got to talk about your elk hunt. And okay. number two, we got to talk about my North Dakota hunt with Furter. Because last week's podcast, you were out hunting the mountains, but me, Spencer, and Furter did a quick one. And I was just on my way from Montana to North Dakota. But no right. one knows what's happened since. So got to give them those updates. But that's that's all I got. So otherwise, it is an open highway for us to take people to whatever destination we can think of. Just detour all the way. Yeah. Do you have any detours you want to start with? Or are you just so pumped up on elk hunting mojo that you have to just let it out? Dude, I'm, I'm down for whatever. You know me. I don't I don't like live by the normal rules. You know, every, every rule I see is basically just kind of a guideline. It's not necessarily saying you have to do this. So Mark, plus I'm, I'm just the sidekick, right? On this podcast. I don't make any decisions. (laughs) You're the one in charge, right? You live on the edge, Dan. Um, (laughs) You are the wild card. And then I, then I'll throw this one at you then, because probably nobody cares about anything else except for if they haven't been following along in other places, if you kill an elk. So did you kill an elk? No, we did not kill an elk, but shots were fired. Uh, Shots, plural? Well, one shot. Okay. One shot. So here's what I'll do. Here's what I'm going to say. I'll I'll just kind of get into the story. Yes. All right? I I want to hear it because I told you when we talked on the phone the other day, I I purposefully – avoided hearing too many details because I wanted to hear it now. So I am, I am dying to hear, just, just give it to me. All right. So here's the deal. So I learned a lot on the, on the elk hunt, um, that me and you went on, right? Like what to do and what not to do. Um, the first thing that we did when we got into Colorado, uh, we got into Colorado, like, uh, three in the morning, went to my buddy, Adam Parr's house, crashed on his couch, Got some sleep. So that means we woke up Saturday morning, got there at like uh, 3 a.m. Saturday morning, uh, went there or woke up oh about 9 or so, got some coffee, um, went and got some groceries, had to make a couple stops and run some errands in, in town. Um, 
and then we headed up to the mountains, right? Saturday, we got to the mount, we got into camp, which a lot different than, so we stayed on private property, but we hunted all public property. And it looked like you guys were staying in like a cabin or a, a yep. house or something? A cabin. There was no electricity. There was no running water. So we had to bring all of our own water um, and all of our own food and ice and all that stuff. So uh, we slept in a cabin. Me and Ryan slept in a cabin. Uh, was this was this specifically because they'd heard about your tent debacles and they just <laughs> they really wanted to avoid that? <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm just lucky, and, and I'll tell you as the, as we get into the story, it's crazy because, I'm dude. If instead of going back to a tent and sleeping on the ground, you get to go to a, at least a mattress and a sleeping bag, uh, and you're in a in a enclosure, not necessarily a tent. It's a game changer as far as getting a good night's sleep. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of one thing. But anyway, for the for the for the over forty crowd, I guess. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. I, it was up there. You had to take it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Low hanging fruit. That's right. So anyway, um, I think the last time what just kicked my ass so bad when we went was, dude, we got we we drove from Iowa to Idaho, got out of the truck and went straight up the mountain. Yeah. Like we were only at the bottom of the at your truck for enough time to put our backpacks on. Yeah, That's 30 it. minutes to get dressed, throw them on right. and get going get going so what what i what we did this time was we didn't hunt saturday at all we got to the mountain we got camp set up and i literally started drinking out of a gallon of water and i drank and drank and drank and we got acclimated um the camp was at about uh the cabin was at about 10 to 10,000 oh, yeah. feet you're up there Yep. So we s- spent the entire rest of the evening um had a good meal Got to bed somewhat early and, uh, you know, hydrated and got acclimated. And I think that that changed the game for the entire week because I wasn't suffering as bad as I was the last time we went. I mean, I felt really, really good. Uh, Yes, it was exhausting and yes, it was tiring and yes, it was punishing, but it was not like defeating, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, would you credit any of that to your change in uh, physical preparation too for this one. Yeah, I did a lot of different things. Like I, for what I did with you was I did a lot of like just your regular weightlifting routines with some cardio and like, and when I mean a regular weightlifting routine, I mean, okay, you go to the squat rack and you do 10 reps and then you go and you do some leg extensions and then maybe you do 10 deadlifts. This, I did like a hundred deadlifts and so but lighter weight or i did a hundred of something so i i just wore the muscles out and then i did stair masters and one thing that i really think helped was my weighted pack hikes uh and this is for like the entire trip right but yeah. the weighted the weighted pack hikes i mean i because i talked to a lot of guys who went out west from flatlands like pennsylvania michigan and iowa and they're like nothing can there's no exercise that can prepare you for what you're going to do and the one guy was telling me and the best exercise that i felt you know worked was the weighted pack hikes so i did a lot of um putting weight on a pack and hiking for like 
four miles that some of those took an hour and a half to maybe two hours and just trying to exhaust the body uh, basically was what I was trying to do. And I feel that the first, I mean, the first couple days, man, I felt really good compared to, you know, as the, as the, the week went on, I felt, you know, my leg, my energy was definitely draining, but yeah. we hit it hard for six straight days. Yeah. Um, well, that's good though. And, and when I was seeing what you were doing this summer with those hikes, you know, just like you said, nothing but hiking with a heavy pack can really replicate that. Yeah. Um, and it's so important. It's not the glamour muscles and those, you know, curls and stuff that are going to help you in the mountains. It's, can you slog up a hill all day with a heavy yep. load and just keep going and keep going? Yep. And, uh, I'm glad that helped out. Yeah, a- absolutely helped out. And I'll tell you what, I focus so much on my lower part of my body, like my legs and cardio that I hardly did any curls or triceps or, um, the, I did do, I did do shoulder press, um, and, and a lot of rowing machine for the back, but you know, doing the, the bench press, the curls, the triceps, I hardly did any of that at all. Yeah. Now was your wife upset with your regimen this time? Cause it sounds like your glamour muscles just weren't up to par <laughs> than this year for her. <laughs> Is that part of the strategy to keep child number four from happening? No, 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 no. <laughs> child, a child number three keeps child number four from happening. <laughs> I don't believe it. I won't believe it till I, <laughs> till I hear about the procedure, man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I need, I need to just do it. I don't know why you haven't. <laughs> I, know. I guess I live on the wild side, Mark. You live on the edge. <laughs> you're just, you're tiptoeing right on the precipice of disaster at all no, times. <laughs> dude, in order to have a baby, you have to have sex. Oh, and with and... three kids, it's like that bell curve just goes way down. <laughs> okay, I understand. <laughs> now we get it. Now we I, get it. I can totally understand. Okay, so so no sex, lots of exercise, though. Uh, you're you're right. feeling better at the beginning of this trip. Continue with this story. Right. So, so dude... It was day one was out of a just out of like videos that I've seen. And I'm not talking about elk running around everywhere because we got out of the camp and I got introduced to something called deadfall. Oh, yeah. This this trip and with high winds, the beetle kill. And dude, I'm talking about trees stacked on trees, stacked on trees, anything from knee high to chin high uh, that you're having to climb over or under or around. And what if you're walking a straight line uh, on the mountains, let's say, should take about 10 minutes to 15 minutes. We're talking about 45 minutes of deadfall in a quarter mile. And it's nasty. So. You know, then we dropped down to about nine five from camp ten two. We dropped down over the course of about a half mile to a creek. Walk another half mile up. We're back somewhere around ten two. Then we start getting out of the creek to these benches where all the elk sign are. And uh, you know, the first setup we hear we hear something. We're like, hey, let's set up here. We call. This is day one. We call. Nothing happens. It, can I? Sorry, if I can time yeah. out. Did you guys or Adam, right? Adam was your brother. Yeah, Adam. Yep. He he knew this area, right? So did, did you guys yep. have like a game plan, like, hey, we're gonna go to a place, or was it, hey, we're just gonna walk in this direction and see if we hear anything and stop every time we hear? Like, what was like, what was the game plan as you were doing right. this hike? Right. The game plan was 
you know, he, he's, he pretty much told us the night before and he showed us on a map, Hey, we're looking for these, these bench types. It's where there, you know, we come off a steep, there's like a steep drop off on the mountain and it kind of flattens out and then it gets steep again. And these flatter areas are what the elk really seem to congregate on. That's where they seem to bed throughout the day. That's their access routes to these meadows where they're going and eating grass. Um, so a lot of focusing, looking at the topographic Mac map and trying to find these benches where the elk were at. Okay. So he'd been out there uh, the past two years, three years. So he had a good idea of where, where we were heading. Okay. So you're heading towards these benches. You're getting yep. there. You hear something you set up. Uh, yep. What are you doing? So we set up and, uh, and Adam's like, okay, who, who gets first shot? I look at Ryan. I say paper, rock, scissors for first shot. My buddy Ryan came with me. He's like, okay, but one, two, three, shoot. He wins. Okay. So he, he gets first shot. So what he's doing is wherever we think the elk are going to come, then Ryan, and then Adam is however far back behind him kind of calling, uh, a combination of bugles and cow calls. And then I'm off on a flank. So if maybe he hits it, I, I get a secondary follow-up shot or if he misses, I get a secondary follow-up shot or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and you're just hearing, the, you're just hearing like movement or you actually heard elk bugling in your direction. We heard movement like cracking, com- like cracking going okay. through the deadfall. Right. Okay. Did, didn't hear any bugles. So nothing happens on the first try. And what we're doing is we're working our way up the mountain with the wind blowing in our face, the thermals coming downhill. And then what the goal is, is by the time you work your way up, you're to a point where the thermal switch for the late morning, yeah. you know, and then you're and coming down up. and you maybe go find another meadow and then you work your way down. Yeah. Right. So, so we get up to this meadow set up, you know, nothing happens set up, nothing happens. And we heard, and then finally, dude, I'm telling you, it is a life changing event. And I'm not talking about what we heard in Colorado where we hear one bugle, um, probably. Oh yeah. We didn't hear crap in a mile. Yeah. One mile away. We heard one bugle. Maybe. But was I, was I, t- when I was telling you what it could be like, was I right? Oh dude, it was nuts. <laughs> I hear this bugle across the drainage on another side, which sparked another bugle on our side, which sparked another bugle. So we heard <laughs> four elk bugle, uh, three in the drainage that we were at and one across the creek in, 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 um, in the same drainage. So clear across it. And we, I look at my buddy Ryan, I I just like, that's this big smile on my face. I'm like, Oh my God. And one was close enough to where you could hear the chuckle at the end of it. And And like the, a little bit of like the rasp and like the air and like the, (laughs) yeah. Right. Yeah. So we hear these, we hear these bugles. One's close enough. We can hear the chuckle. And so I'm getting fired up. I don't even know what to do. Luckily, my buddy Adam there is like, he's, he's been in that situation before. He's like, okay, we're going to work our way up. We're going to continue with our plan. And, uh, we worked our way up to the next meadow called, heard a couple bugles called, heard a couple bugles. And then, which is crazy, the sun came out and it shut off. 
right? Mm-hmm. We kept calling a little bit. We kept calling, nothing, shut off. So we climb up uh, this meadow, and then there's this really steep embankment. But at the top of this this incline is a, a flat bench. It's a little open, but what it will allow us to do is scan the opposite side of the drainage to look to see if any elk are coming out on these meadows or if we can see any movement. So we climb up. We're sitting. So we started right when we got off the creek. We're at 10-2. Now we're at 11-1. You know, and obviously this is a fast version of the story. We pop into a couple more meadows. We eat lunch, um, pop into a couple more meadows. What did you have for lunch? I had uh, (laughs) some cliff bars and then some packaroons from a company called Heather's Choice. What's a packaroon? I don't know. It's like this dense protein bar. It's like uh, um, they're really tasty, dude. They're they're really tasty. Okay, was it you or was it Furter who brought like nothing but Cliff Bars for like all of their meals except for dinner? Was that you or in our Idaho? Oh yeah, that was me <laughs> on our, on Idaho. <laughs> oh, I couldn't live like that. So you had you had a pack room, which sounds like kind of similar though, right? But it's way soft. They're okay. really soft. They're like a it's like a a protein brownie, but but full of all organic stuff. So you, you, thumbs up for that. Well, thumbs up. And because we were out of a camp instead of a tent, you know, and we ha- we could drive our vehicles there, we were able to bring more food like bananas and apples and, mm. and carrots and stuff like that. Yeah. So every day, instead of eating, you know, straight cliff bars, I was able to have a banana or a apple. Dude, right there. All the other things you mentioned that you think helped you, none of them made a difference. It was just the fact that you went off of a straight cliff bar diet. <laughs> 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 that's that was what you had wrong last time <laughs> yeah probably well okay. i couldn't cr- i couldn't go to the bathroom last time and this yeah. time i didn't have a problem going to the bathroom and that'll that'll change things <laughs> yeah absolutely okay absolutely. so uh no cliff bars packaroons and and whatever else uh so water. sorry yeah water so we chill there for about 40 minutes you know we catch maybe take a little snooze and my, it's kind of funny because my my buddy Ryan has this real fancy watch and it tells you calories burned and elevation and all this stuff. And, uh, to get to that point, we burnt 1700 calories just in the walk-in Nice. and dude, I'm telling you over the course of the entire trip, we were burning anywhere between 5,000 to 6,000 calories a day. I love that's it. Pretty, that's pretty cool to know. And you get back to camp and you're, you're trying to literally force feed yourself and you can't even make it to 4,000 calories because yeah. you're so full. Guilt-free and, eating. Oh, yeah. Guilt-free eating. And, and then you wake up, you stuff your face with a breakfast until you're almost uncomfortable, and you hike, and in an hour and a half, you're hungry again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. uh, th- th- that was nuts. So anyway, back to, the, back to day one because it's kind of the – like day one and day three were the kind of the most interesting. Uh, we're, we get up there. We then we kind of hike through this next meadow. We're coming around, work our way up, do some calling sequences, similar to turkey hunting, right? You you set up, you call, set up, call, set up, call, and uh, hopefully something, you know, something was uh, would come out. And long story long story short, we turn around, we head down the mountain. Um, and as we're heading down the mountain, we head all the way back down to where we started in the very most bottom meadow and we, uh, and 
overcast starts to come in. A storm comes in and then it starts raining again. And then something happened in, in the weather. I hate to, I hate to keep interrupting you. Yeah. (laughs) Cause you're getting momentum here and you're really, your story flowing, your juices are flowing here, but I got to ask, um, if we're comparing and contrasting last trip to this trip, last trip, when it started to rain, you would put a black garbage bag on. <laughs> did you did you bring the garbage bag back or did you real rain gear this time? <laughs> no, no, I had a real rain jacket this time. Okay. So <laughs> I prepared and it worked and I was happy. Oh, man, that is one of my greatest memories of all okay. hunting trips ever is, is looking at you in your parka slash garbage bag (laughs) (laughs) just like literally but i'm telling you these rainstorms that we witnessed out in colorado they went away after 15 20 minutes right it didn't rain all day long (laughs) yeah i know yeah we had a couple of rough ones so okay sorry you were in good rain gear continue rain 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 gear's good it's on check i'm staying dry we uh, we're heading down the mountain and as we're heading down the mountain he lets one one bugle and that an elk all the way across the drainage um, on the other side of the creek um, bugles. So we work our way even further down, all the way down. And uh, so we're like, okay, we got to cross the creek. We're going to get up into the next drainage and we're going to go chase that bull. Cause that's kind of, that was our strategy. Try to get one to bugle and go chase it. Right. Yep. So were, were you kind of doing what you and me had wanted to do? We never had that really opportunity, but basically you hear one view and you just get as close as you think you can yep. and then call if you think you're right in their business. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And this is where it's good. All right. So we were heading down, we're getting ready to cross the Creek. We're probably about a hundred yards from the Creek and there's another bugle that just rips off right back from where we just came from. <laughs> and Adam goes, I bet you anything that bull bugled in his bed. So we bugle again and he, he responds again. We bugle again. He responds. So we're now we're trying to locate him and he's coming from the exact same spot. Right. And he's like, let's go. This one's closer. Let's go get him. Go back up the mountain. We get into, and as we're, as we're getting closer. So like every hundred yards, every 200 yards, we bugle. And it's coming from the same exact spot. And this dark timber is so thick and nasty. You can't see, you can't even see 50 yards in front of you. Right. So we're getting real aggressive and we're going right straight towards this bugle. And the, the good thing about how this all played out was with the cloud cover and a slight drizzle, the afternoon thermals were coming down. They weren't going up. Hmm. because it was cooler and the rain kind of was pushing the thermals down. Uh, so it was kind of, it wasn't raining, but it was kind of sprinkling thermals were going down and, and we were getting closer and we're getting closer. And now, now we're so close that when he bugles, you can feel it. Uh. Like, <laughs> dude, I'm ta- like you can feel it in your skin. Yeah. When, when that high pitch part of the bugle goes, your ears just kind of tickle a little bit. Like that's how close we were. Right. So we get up to this spot and by the grace of God, there is an opening right there, right there in the, um, in this dark 
thick deadfall timber and it, it's offering a shooting lane of like 20 to 30 yards and uh he and adam goes okay you sit up here dan you flank over here and um, i'm gonna drop back and start calling so ryan got first shot until he actually let an arrow go or were you guys rotating he, on every setup not every setup first shot just like the first shot so we're gonna we're gonna set, get into position and um the first every time we put ryan in like the fir- until he got a shot it was ryan's shot basically. that was a high stakes game of uh rock paper scissors i know i know that could have been the whole trip you might have had him leading off yeah it could have been so did you have any strategy when you went into that rock paper scissors or just go with your gut i just i just threw i didn't even think about it because you think about it and then you start messing up yeah but in retrospect now that you lost do you think you should have approached it with any different ideas or tactics uh, probably, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I really wasn't thinking about, I just, I was like, okay, I don't have a quarter in my pocket. Let's think of a fair way, a fair way to do this. So paper, rock, scissors, one out of one. That's all it was. Yeah. That's, that's high stakes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Ryan's up to bat. Ryan's up to bat. I drop down a little bit lower and I come around to another little clearing. That's about the size of a, a small bedroom. I mean, if the elk was going to come my way, it would have, he would have, I would have shot him at 10 yards type of deal. So Adam drops back behind Ryan down the, down the mountain and he starts taking sticks and branches and shit and just cracking them and throwing logs and beating them and bugling and cow calling (laughs) and so what he was doing is sounding like he was running around gathering up some cows. Yeah. That's what it, if, I, if I had to guess, that's what it sounded like. And every time he bugled and now, you know, we've pushed into about 50 yards of this elk, right? Can't see him yet. We know he's above us, but we can't see him yet. And he's hammering these bugles and every one is just like a, you know like just uh-huh. crazy and it, i'm telling you man to all the listeners out there if you ever get the opportunity to go on an elk hunt it's going to be brutal it just depends on where you go but it's like what we did it's brutal it's physical it's it's a mental game but if you get the opportunity to hear an elk bugle as close as we did you will think about it every single day for the rest of your life uh, i'm <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it was a life-changing event. <laughs> it's, life-changing so, event. it's so awesome. And right there, right in the middle of Dan's story, I'm going to stop us and take a quick break to thank our partners at Onyx. They are the makers of the Onyx Hunt app, which I've been mentioning each week for a while now, and I've been using each week for a while now. Now the hunting season's kicked off, that's just going to continue. Uh, I was using it in Montana, as I told you about, while I was actually going in and out hunting and when I was tracking that buck. I'm going to be using it next week when I'm going to hunt elk in Montana. I'll be using it two weeks after that when I kick off my whitetail season here in Michigan, hunting this new property I've got permission on and my main Holyfield property, tracking different stand locations, tracking in and out access routes, all that kind of stuff. When I head up to Minnesota, for the Boundary Waters hunt, I'll be using it then a ton leading up to that as I'm still trying to figure out where the heck to go. Uh, that's a story for another day. But long story short on this is that app is a great tool to use on your phone or your computer, wherever you might be. It's got 
topo maps, it's got aerial maps, it has property information, property owner information, it has public land parcel borders and information. You can mark your locations, you can mark your tracks, you can measure distances, you can measure areas. I could go on and on. Needless to say, it's something worth checking out if you're interested in getting a membership or downloading some of their specific state maps. You can get 20% off using the promo code WIRED. That's W-I-R-E-D. And you can get the Onyx Hunt app at your favorite mobile store or you can learn more over at onyxmaps.com. So anyway, I'm so I hear some cracking. Like, so like he's up on his feet now or something. So I drop, I, I kind of drop down a little bit. So I'm way low and I'm trying to look under this deadfall. I, so I can't see Ryan anymore, but every time, every time Adam bugles or calls, this bull is responding and he's bugling again. And like I said, it's a glorious thing. So, so as Adam's calling, the next bugle sounded like it was further away. Uh, maybe he stood up or turned around. So, I thought, oh my God, this, you know, there's a, a herd of cows or something and he's uh, heading, heading off with the cows or whatever. And just as I thought that Adam did one hell of a calling sequence, like break some sticks and raked a tree and made a bugle and some cow calls and he turned around and now I could look up and I could see the tops of his antlers. He was really close, still, still responding with every bugle that, uh, Ryan or excuse me that uh, Adam set out and I can see his the tops of his antlers I can see part of his head but that was it and he's like he's swaying them back and forth almost like a moose does it was weird he just like really really uh I don't know like he was showing off to somebody almost did this seem and like a, he, did this seem like a big bull it, yeah um from what I could see like every elk is huge to me you yeah, know what I mean yeah it's and, it, and plus it was really thick and nasty so it's not like I had a, a, a perfect clear shot at him so and then I could hear him stomping and pawing so it, it was almost like he was freaking pissed really really pissed off and something happened and all of a sudden he just committed and it sounded like a car being pushed through the woods through the timber just cracking and coming through it wasn't even like he was trying to go around anything but straight through it (laughs) and then there was this moment of silence and i heard and i i knew that what that sound was and that was ryan uh letting an arrow go yes yeah and so i put my arrow back quick in in my quiver. I run up and there I see Ryan like looking back at me. Like he'd just seen a ghost type of deal, you know, like, uh, cause he'd killed, he killed an elk before like six years ago with a rifle on a private ranch, something, you know, almost like shooting fish in a barrel type of thing. (laughs) Yeah. And, and he, and, and Ryan was like, I hit him. I hit him. I'm like, did you hit him? Did you hit him? He's like, I hit him. I hit him. And, so we, we, we just kind of wait for Adam to come up because Adam didn't know what happened. And I said, what, which way did he run? He's like, he ran that way, but then I lost him. And, and remember, this is some of the thickest, nastiest shit that I've ever witnessed. Right. And so if you walk 50 yards ahead of someone, you're lost. So we, I start whistling for Adam. Adam comes up. We kind of gather ourselves. We say, okay, where did you, where do you think you hit him? And, he, and Ryan goes, I think I hit him a little forward, but high, um, to where I think I got high lung. 
And I'm like, dude, if you got high lung, man, we're in business, man, we're in business. And so we wait just like two minutes, three minutes. And then we start making our way to the impact where, and this, this was inside 20 yards where he had this shot. So probably closer to 15 if I had to guess, but, uh, he hit him just a little bit high. He thought, cause I didn't, I wasn't able to see the shot or the impact. Um, at once this, once this, uh, elk came down the side of the mountain towards Ryan, I lost all, all side of him. And it was just my hearing from then on. And so we, we kind of looking, we're looking on the ground, nothing. We're looking, uh, you know, for some stumps, nothing. And then Ryan finds a zero and it's broken off and total penetration. And this is generous, probably about four inches maybe less. So what we're thinking is we hit the shoulder and it, he was shooting a mechanical broadhead and it, it hit it and it just stopped basically through the meat of the front shoulder, hit the, hit the bone and just stopped right there. But we did our due diligence and we, we, we grid searched for 20, 30 minutes, no blood, no unturned, like upturned soil or anything from where we could see him running. And long story short, that was the, uh, that was Ryan's first archery shot at a, at an elk. And, um, there's nothing you say to a guy after that, you know, I could have sat there and be like, Hey sport, it's going to be okay. You know, keep your head up and shit like that. <laughs> it's <laughs> like you had an opportunity like that. And he, you, you just, it didn't, it didn't happen. Right. So, yeah. so, so we're talking about, we're like, Ryan, what do you think this, what do you think this bull, how big was he? And Ryan goes, I don't, I don't know too much about uh, elk, but I'm saying somewhere between 250 and 300. And then he starts to describe the characteristics. And he said, all I know is I saw the end of one of his, and they, I guess they call him a whale tail, the whale tail. Yeah. The whale tail. So I guess the whale tail is something that's predominant on six by sixes. So Adam thinks it was bigger than that. Um, so maybe, I don't know, between 300 and 320 oh, class wow. bull. So, and from what I saw, it, it was, it wasn't like hugely wide, but they were really tall from what I could see or, well, kind of, they flare back. I don't know. So from what I could see, so it was a, it was a good, decent bull and, uh, it just didn't happen. Bummer. Yeah. Sounds like a very exciting day, but that is, uh, that is the ultimate bummer. Yeah, absolutely. Now here's something that I was, I, I knew I wasn't necessarily a shooter, but there was a chance that if this elk came around the other way, I would have had a shot on him. And for some reason I was not fired up like I would have been if I was deer hunting for some reason. Like when that, when that deer shows up and, and you're, I don't know, you're already, you're, you get buck fever, I guess, or you get that huge adrenaline dump. Like I know it's going to happen and Mm -hmm. I know I'm drawing back. I didn't get that. I was really clear. And that was strange to me. Do you think that was more because of the scenario, you know, elk hunting, different species, different place, or was it more because you knew that you were runner up or 
Well, you know. I think a lot, I think a lot of it had to, has to do with, I think for, for deer hunting, you have a real low heart rate and then it goes to a real high heart rate. My heart rate was already up yeah. right from climbing up the mountain. So it's not like if I had an adrenaline rush, my heart was going to do anything more than what it was already doing. You know yeah, what I mean? Interesting. So I don't know. Uh, I just, I, I was clear, I was ready and I was focused. So that, that's nuts. I thought I was going to be like losing my shit. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean you couldn't lose your shit later in the trip possibly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, 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 uh, tell me what happens next. I'm going to fast forward to day three. All right. So day two, we go back to the same area. We hear two bugles. We chase them. Nothing happens. We have an encounter with a calf, uh, Nobody takes a shot at it just because, you know, I mean, in in light of what just happened the day before, we felt like we had hit something right, right? Yeah. And then Adam had to head back into town uh, to his house to meet someone for uh, get internet set up in his new house. So me and Ryan were kind of on our own. We had our Onyx maps. We were, you know, looking at where we needed to go. Oh my God. We had a hike that went from 10 2 to 11 1 and it was straight up and it was literally one of the most punishing things and grueling things I have ever physically done in my entire life. Period. I, I don't know how many calories we burnt, but it, it was, it, I mean, I was losing my mind climbing this like, mental failure, getting mad, getting angry because we were going <laughs> up the same deadfall, but we were uh, up the same deadfall, but we were going at like a 40 degree angle. Do you it think this, this, sucked. this watch that Ryan had that told you your exact elevation, do you think that was a blessing or a curse? Cause I could see it being a little scary or a little bit, uh, every time you actually look at that number, like, Oh God, we've gone 700 feet. We've gone 1200 feet. <laughs> that might, yeah. did that make misery, uh, more exaggerated? Uh, not necessarily because he, I wouldn't ask him until we were done with the punishment. Okay. Right. I never asked before because, uh, whenever Adam said, Hey, we just got to pop up this ridge. Like that's what someone who lives out there says. Yeah. Uh, if I was up there. And I was going to tell somebody what we had to do. I would look at him straight in the face and I would say, I'm going to try to kill you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, yep. So that's what that punishment was like. And we, um, you know, we went back down the mountain. Uh, we, he went, he went home. We, uh, went kind of up a little bit up to a different drainage, worked our way down. And, uh, man, I was beat after that day. Got up the next morning, got into the truck, and we went to a completely different part of the mountain. And we walk into this little secluded drainage slash meadow, and it was one of the most beautiful thing. Like it, the sun's coming up over the mountains, and it's just beautiful. A light. There's some clouds in the air. No bugles, but and this is a, a learning experience for me. And it's something that I made a mistake one time during this trip and I didn't make it again. So you hike in in just your base layers because you're sweating balls by the time you get to where you went. And I felt, Hey, I'm still going to be hot in 20 minutes or 10 minutes. I'm just going to sit here in my base layers. Uh, and while Adams drops back, you know, drops back and calls and I'm, so now I'm 
up to bat first, right? So I get the, I guess what you would call the fav- favorable position. And we're looking across this drainage and it's like, oh, 30 yards from where I'm sitting to the opposite side. So it was kind of steep on both sides. So if something came out, you could, you could shoot across the drainage at it. And I set up and I start getting cold and my backpack's behind a tree. So I get out and as I stand up and turn around, I hear something on the other side, take off and run away. And I'm just like, I just screwed up like a potential opportunity because, you know, we could hear elk across the drainage, like just working around in there, walking back and forth and stuff. And then I started shivering because I was cold. So I needed to go get some more layers on. So I stood up and walked around the tree and there must've been something close on the other side that busted me and it took off running fast forward about 20 more minutes and we all meet up back behind these trees and all of a sudden we hear something run off and we look and it's a cow had snuck up behind us so our bows are all down on the ground and ryan goes oh man there's another there's another cow coming right at us and it wasn't a cow it was a bull and if I thought that the bull on day one was huge, you could have put that bull's rack into this bull's rack. It was, and I feel, I don't know shit about scoring and I don't know anything. I'm so I'm not going to try to say a score, but I've watched in my day, a lot of YouTube videos and stuff. And I would put this elk up there with any other elk I've seen on TV. Uh, just gigantic and it got to uh, it came it came in silent behind us and we looked and i grabbed my bow and knock an arrow and i'm getting ready to draw and it runs away Uh it it wasn't like i had a shot anyway but it was one of those things where it's just like oh i got to see it it's like it made eye contact with me (laughs) it was it was mind-blowingly huge and again i'm from iowa i've seen now at this point in my life, I've seen two bull elk somewhat close, right? Yeah. In real life. So it could have been a 300 incher and the other one could have been a, you know, a 250. but I know it was big and I was just jacked up about it. And th- like, so if that, if, if it ended right there, I would call that a successful trip, but we yeah. had, we had five more days to go. Unfortunately, this is where everything slows down. Not another bugle. It got warm and the weather turned nice and we bounced around every day and every day was just basically hiking and setting up on fresh sign and doing our due diligence and grinding and grinding and grinding. And uh, unfortunately nothing happened. Man, sounds like a pretty awesome trip though. Mm. Those first few days, like you just said, makes for a for a success, right? Right. I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. I will go elk hunting every year for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, it gets in your blood. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's fun, and it was not only the hardest thing I've ever had to do physically, but like I was better prepared mentally for it this time because I remembered what that punishment breathing was like so it was like i had time to prepare for so it's like i knew what i was getting into yeah that helps that helps a lot yeah yeah so long story short dude that's my that's my colorado trip in a nutshell it was long but 
But um, I'm glad that you got that experience, though. I, I felt so bad after our trip. You know, I'd been talking it up so much and telling you about how the year before was nuts and having those moments like you described, and yep. it obviously didn't pan out for us on that one. But uh, now you know. Yeah. Now you know. It was nuts, dude. And I just – it's one of those things where I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I wish everybody has the opportunity to experience something like that because whitetail hunting is one thing. But when you have a 800-pound animal, 900-pound animal running around making the loudest noises you've ever heard, it's an experience in itself, dude. Yeah. I'm glad we're having this conversation because I leave for an elk hunt next week. Oh, yeah. And I'm not even really, or at least not until now, haven't been that excited about it. I've been looking forward to whitetail stuff in October. I'm like planning all this stuff out and, and, and I'm, I'm kind of like over traveled a little bit. So I'm just kind of burnt out and kind of just want to spend some family time. You know, I, I was gone for the last 11 days and I'm home for like six and I've just been thinking, man, I wish I didn't schedule this trip right after that. I really would just like, you know, two, three, four weeks at home instead of six days. But, um, all that aside, I, you did give me a, a new bump of excitement for that that bugling, that bugling uh, fest that hopefully I'll be experiencing here next week. So yeah. thank you for that. I, I'll tell you though, it was tough. You know, I hadn't been on a big, big trip like this. You know, like we, I've been to the ATA show. That's like basically a three day event, but I was gone a total of, let's see, I left on uh, the 31st and I got back on the, it would have been the eighth. So I was gone eight days from my family and it's, it sucked. I mean, I'm not going to lie at man. I, I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I got homesick, but I missed my kids and I missed my wife. So being able to come home and see them again was, that's very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely relate to you more on that now on this trip. You know, definitely was feeling that it was different knowing that Everett was back home and not, you know, just not being a part of the daily life with him. And I loved getting pictures and videos and stuff that my wife was sending, but then that also was just like, oh, I just want to like be there. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's definitely different. And, and like I said, I'm not looking forward to leaving again right away. But but that's my elk hunt. I want to know a little bit about this uh, North Dakota trip because you were obviously you're successful in Montana. Yeah. When you crossed the border, what well, happened? Yeah, so had that great hunt in Montana. And sorry that we're not – getting to talk about it all um but you know we already talked about with further and spencer Did, anything you need to know that you don't know about that that we should cover in two minutes here are you good well i'll just ask you for the coordinates after the, <laughs> you don't record <laughs> yeah yeah how, how much you got in your savings account uh dan we can we might be able to negotiate something <laughs> 30 bucks okay okay we will not be able to negotiate something <laughs> okay so i i kill my buck in montana um i'm driving towards north dakota on that first day and I actually get kind of sick in the car. Uh, or maybe maybe it was more that I was just really exhausted. Um, I think at that point, I was just not feeling great. And I had to get a podcast up and do all this kind of stuff. And long story short, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get to camp tonight. I'm just going to get in a hotel room. I'm going to get this work done. I'm going to shower. I, you know, I was all bloody and gross after having gutted and recovered that deer that day. So yeah, get to the hotel room. I ended up like getting like nauseous and horrible headache and like pass out like eight thirty that night in the hotel. Next day, get up, 
get some more work done, start driving to North Dakota. I don't end up getting to our spot in North Dakota till that evening at like six o'clock in the evening. So I can't hunt that night. Um, Josh was out hunting. So I decided I'm just going to get out there and get up on one of these big bluffs that overlooks this river bottom that we're hunting and see, see what I could see. Just try to get eyes on something because Josh had been there hunting for three days. And up to this point, he had not seen hardly anything. He had seen, I think one year and a half old buck and a handful of does every day. And he then had been, he'd been up on the, on the hills glassing in the mornings, trying to see like, where are all these deer? And was not seeing the number of deer that we were expecting, but he was seeing some other hunters. Um, there was, there wasn't any other whitetail hunters, but there was guys out there chasing, you know, other Western species, muleys, whatever. Um, now sorry to interrupt, but this is the same area that you guys went shed hunting at this spring. Yes. Okay. And we All found, right. we found a good number of sheds in there and we scouted it and we saw a good sign. Um, so it looked really good. Like we had really high hopes for this spot. Um, but Josh's time there was not showing anything good. I show up, I sit in this butte, I start glassing. I don't see crap. I just see a couple does and I can see like a mile in either direction. I mean, I can cover a big chunk of ground that there sh- you should be seeing deer coming out, crossing this river, coming out into some of these openings, moving in and around the cottonwood groves, nothing. So that's concerning. That night we regrouped. Josh hardly saw anything again that night. The next morning, I'm like, all right, well, I'm not just going to go sit blindly in an area where we're not seeing anything. We need to we need to keep learning. We need to find these deer. So the next morning, again, I go to another spot, try to glass that. Again, don't see anything. So after like an hour, I scoot out of there and I start driving roads, trying to see, are there any deer in any of these? Are there some private land fields that are pulling all the deer? What's going on? Drive around, drive around. Hardly anything at all. So we get back to camp now. This is like Josh's day four, I think. And, you know, we're kind of at a loss. He's not seeing a deer. These two scouting sessions are showing really, really poor numbers. We still haven't seen a single mature buck. We're down to two days left, two and a half days left or whatever. Um, So finally that, you know, we're sitting there midday, and I kind of had this idea pop in my head. You know, why, what are we doing in this kind of area? It's not like hunting in Michigan or Iowa where there's tons of cover and you obviously wouldn't see these bucks. If if there were deer in this area, I was pretty confident that we should see some sign of them. Like there should right. be deer moving. There's not, down on the river bottoms there weren't a bunch of hunters. So I didn't think these deer were crazy overpressured if they were in there. Um, so I threw out the idea. So, okay, what, instead of wasting our time here, where we've not gotten a single indication of there being a deer we actually want to hunt and shoot over the last four or five days or whatever, however long Josh had been there, plus since I was there, what if we relocate? What if we spend, yeah, we're sacrificing some sits, but what if we just keep looking until we actually find a deer we want to shoot and then make a move on those deer? Right now we're not seeing anything that, that really is indicative of, of worthwhile time spent in the tree is, you know, actually trying to fill a tag at least. So I had seen some other public land a couple hours north of here that it looked really good on the maps in the past. I'd never been there, but it looked good, and there was a lot of food. It looked like food sources, fields that yeah. was on the public land or adjacent to that public land. I thought, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that's kind of a gimme this time of year, or at least is like a, a much more sure sign um, than what we had here. There was no food by where we were hunting in this spot. Um so I thought, let's go back to the well. I know this is like a tried and true strategy that's worked for me. It worked for me in Montana. Find public land bedding that's close to private land food. Get up in there. 
um, and, and try to get eyes on something that says, yes, there are deer here and then hunt the public behind it. So, right. So after mulling that over for a little bit, we finally decided, you know what, let's swing for the fences. Let's try it. And we would only have, we were going to drive up there that night and have that night and the next morning to do some scouting. And then we would hunt the next night and next morning. And then we had to go. Yeah. So we do the drive, we get up there, we have an hour to drive around that night, drive around the back roads around this public land. It looks really good. And I end up finding a field with a whole bunch of deer in it that's on public land. And I get my spotting scope out and I see a couple pretty nice bucks that possibly would be a shooter for me, for sure would be a shooter for Josh. Um, so I'm like, all right, bingo. This is exactly what I wanted to see. We've got a huntable area with huntable deer. Um, and you know, you know, we've actually got something to work with here versus what we had before. So I felt great about that. The next day we went in, scouted another area in the morning and hung stands midday for the next morning. Really cool stuff. But the most interesting and important stuff happened that night. We go and in, sneak into that spot where I saw those bucks. Uh, we had a pretty good wind. What looked like it was going to be a pretty good wind for this spot. I had seen most of these deer come out of kind of this inside corner of this field. And, and they were feeding out within sight of a road in daylight, which was in- interesting to me. And it told me that they weren't getting hunted. So I felt pretty good about our chances going into the next day. They'd probably do something pretty similar since they didn't seem like they were, you know, particularly worried about hunters. And this was uh, almost a week into the season there. Um, so I put Josh, I told Josh, you know, if you want, I'd probably recommend the best spot would be that inside corner where most of those deer came out. So he snuck in there with a stand. I went to another area farther down the field where I had seen some of these deer feeding. There weren't any trees. There was grass and brush. Um, but I thought I'll just tuck in that brush, sit in the ground and hopefully watch Josh shoot a deer. If something gets past him or if something pops on a different spot, I'll back clean up down here. And the basic gist of that night is that it went almost exactly like I thought it was going to. These deer started popping out into that field really early, like two, three hours before dark. They were very comfortable. Um, it seemed like the main thing they were feeding in this field, <clears throat> there's some kind of weed that I, I'm not familiar with what it was, but it looks like they had also just planted some kind of cover crop, maybe turnips or radishes or something. They were just starting to come out of the ground, and um, I think that was probably what they were feeding on because I know you know, those, those fresh turnip greens or radish greens or whatever that stuff sometimes can be really attractive right now. Um, so I think that's what they're keying in on. These deer start piling out. I've seen a bunch of does. I have a buck come out close to me that is like a nice two-year-old. He's feeding around. And then that wind shifts completely around, like on a dime. Spins around, blows right back into the cover that we're thinking all these deer are bedded in. All these deer start spooking. I hear deer blowing behind me. There was a buck that circled around me. He disappears. The deer that were out in the field near Josh went go taken off. And we're sitting there with like an hour of daylight left, just defeated. Like, oh man, this was setting up perfect. We had made this, you know, we, we took this risk. We got to this new spot. It was working out perfectly. I was thinking like, oh man, this is amazing. It's going to work out. And the wind kind of ruined it. But as daylight continues, somehow more deer start showing up now with the new wind even and here comes a buck here comes a buck here comes six does here come eight does here comes another buck and while there's this like decent ish buck kind of near me that i'm watching i get a text from josh saying i got a shooter at 60 yards or something i can't get a shot at in a really nice what was at least a three-year-old maybe older buck had come out 
just out of range from him, like 45, 50 yards out in front of him, but, you know, passing through some thick stuff and then moved out into the field at like 60 or 70. I think it was a big eight-pointer, but a split brow time, I think is what he said. And so he had that big buck out in front of him like 60 yards for a long time, never came any closer. He started moving off. Then another nice buck came popping out, but at 70. Um, so we found this little honey hole spot. Josh was just, you know, 10, 15 yards off where, you know, it would have worked out. He got some serious buck fever. He had a, you know, like an awesome adrenaline rush that he was telling me about afterwards that, you know, that that's an awesome feeling to get the that first buck fever of the year. Um, so it made the trip all worth it, I think, just with that. Like, just to have a yeah. fun encounter, just so he could see some deer, because it had been really slow going for him up to that point. So I felt really good about it, because, you know, I, I just wanted him to have a good time at this point. I was feeling, you know, it was all gravy for me since I already filled my tag. But... That was a fun night, close encounters. Next morning, we went into this spot that we had hunt, that we had set up the day before, and this was again. This was like a we're just swinging for the fences. We knew it's early season. We've never been here before, but we decided we we would almost try like a bump and dump type thing where we were just gonna plow right into the thickest, best looking like bedding, knowing that we're gonna blow anything out of there as we go in there, set the stand, and just pray that maybe we could catch them coming back the very next morning the one time they come back in before getting all you know boogered out of there um it did not work <laughs> but uh well, there weren't many better options for that morning set so we tried that that didn't work and and that was it that was the north dakota trip it was you know a day of it was me recovering a day of it was day oh, almost two days of it was scouting around trying to find deer and then a day and a half of it was actually hunting but I'm glad we I'm I'm glad that we spent more time to find those deer versus sitting in a tree and seeing a doe a night in the same spot where we were before just because we didn't want to try something new. So right, it was cool. You know, it was cool just to be out there, and that was that first kind of trip for for Furter. Um, so I think he learned a lot from it, and I think it was just a good experience for him too. And we had a good time. So that was Absolutely. North Dakota, and um, got back here to Michigan and just trying to get a bunch of stuff done here in my six days I've got before the elk hunt. Um, Is that elk hunt archery? Yep, archery, Montana. And before I continue discussing my last few things I've been up to here in Michigan before that Montana trip, I want to take a quick break for our last break of this episode to hear from our friends at Whitetail Properties. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Jeff Propes, a land specialist out of Missouri. And Jeff is going to be talking to us about getting started filming your own hunts. Well, I, I filmed personally. My son and I did for a long time. Uh, I, I was involved in it for over 20 years. My son and I filmed together for about 15 years and uh, pretty much retired from it now. But I, I guess the first thing is is don't skimp, skimp on your equipment. If you're wanting to, particularly if you're wanting to try to do something on a professional level, get good quality equipment. Uh, obviously high definition cameras. The cameras have changed so much since we were in it. I mean, they've got these small little handheld cameras now that take just about as good a quality footage as the old big cameras we used to carry. And, um, you know, get good quality footage and get a good mic. Don't go with an onboard mic on this, on the cameras that come with it. Buy a shotgun mic of good quality, spend the money, do it right. Use a tree arm when you're in a tree. You get nice, smooth, steady pans, and, and when you're on the ground, if it's if it's feasible, 
you use a tripod. Just keep your footage nice and steady, whether you're in a tree or on the ground. But the big thing is to don't skimp on equipment. Buy good stuff, and it'll show with your footage. The quality will show through. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Jeff currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com backslash props. That's P-R-O-P-S-T. Um, and, uh, I went to that new property I've got permission on on the west side of the state today and hung four stands. Um, it's very last minute, much later than I usually like to, but, uh, the guy that's out there, um, that's also on this property, he is kind of putzing around a lot of time, checking it out on a, on like a gator or like a UTV kind of deal. So he, you know, it's kind of believes that these deer are pretty comfortable with his presence, um, on that as often as he goes through there. So we kind of use that to mask us, you know, getting a tree stand hung. So we went in there with that thing just like he usually does, left that going, hung the stands, got out of there. So, you know, not I'd much rather be getting it done a month ago, but it is what it is. Better to yeah. have something going than not. Um, so it's good to get that work done. And, you know, back here on the on the main spot, the Holyfield spot, I've got no good news there, no pictures of him. Um I, I checked one camera, and that f- back food plot where that camera was, the plot is like a dirt field. I don't know what happened, but this, the Nebraska's aren't coming in like they usually do. So that was a bust, and that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. So I got uh, oh, October 1st is a Sunday this year, so I don't even know if I'm going to hunt or not, but um, I think I'm going to, whether it's going to be around home or back back uh, at the main farm it's uh you know i'm a firm believer of stay out of the timber in september so uh, i got trail cameras that i've only checked one time this entire summer and it pisses me off just a little bit uh that i haven't had the time to go do it but uh hopefully that translates into just less pressure on the farm so we will see i probably won't check my you know, unless I maybe go down there at some time, some point, I don't think I'm going to be checking my trail cameras until that first week of, uh, first week of October. Yeah. Well, that's probably, like you said, probably a good thing. I've definitely laid off checking summer cameras significantly. Um, I think I, I checked cameras once I put yeah. cameras out at the beginning of August, checked them once. Now yep. they're just soaking. But just like the deer shift, man, I always try to get like the last week in August, take my trail cameras off of my mineral stations and put them in pinch points and put them in fence crossings and, you know, historically good places where maybe a scrape or two might pop up. But I haven't done that. So I'm going to be a little bit behind. I should still be able to go do it before the rut hits. But, you know, I don't know, man. Yeah, Uh, that's a good point. And I'm not necessarily worried about it. It's just the fact that I won't have like my typical September data that I like to have, you know, once that, once the deer go hard horn, they have that shift and I like to catch that shift on trail camera. Yeah. However, this year I, it seems like I won't, I won't have that. Yeah. I got more bad news for you. Uh Oh, October 1st is on a Monday. It's on a Monday. It's on a Monday. I just God. pulled up my calendar. Well, son of a gun. Yeah. <laughs> take the day off no way dude dude here's the thing here's the 
just the green light way to get out of a day at work. You call in and you tell your boss diarrhea that you have explosive diarrhea. <laughs> they will they will not question it. They will just try to get off the phone as quickly as possible, and you'll be golden. Yeah, yeah. Summon that up. Eat some chili the night before, so you don't need to lie about it. My boss listens to this, dude. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, he does. Really? Yeah. Your boss is a deer hunter. Yeah, dude. He he has. He bought this uh, farm out in the country. This is just a real short story. He bought this farm out in the country, and every year he's had a Boone and Crockett on it. And his first bu- buck he's ever shot with a bow is like a one high one fifties. Do you Iowa guys? It's not even right. <laughs> Yep. Wow, this is amazing. So yeah, like 13 acres. Wow. Something like that. So now. so he he hears all the stuff you talk about with, and he still keeps you hired? <laughs> well, it's not like I trash trash anybody. <laughs> no. Like uh the cubicle life, it can get to a guy. Yeah, yeah, it can. Well, hello to Dan's boss. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being a fan. <laughs> uh okay. Well, We've kind of rambled on about our hunts. I've got one listener question that I want us to tackle here before we wrap up today's quick show. Yep. This comes from Jake in Arlington, Virginia. He says that he, uh, well, I'll just quote, I went to a Washington Nationals game yesterday with my wife and got into conversation about walk-up songs before the batter goes up to hit. I'd love to hear what you and Dan talk about or what you would talk about as far as walk-up songs to when you're going hunting. And if that would change throughout the year, like would you have a different walk-up song for the early season versus the rut versus the late season, um, et cetera. So if you could have a walk-up song as you're heading to the stand, what would that be, Dan? All right. So first I got to say something. Fred Bear by Ted Nugent, mm. in my opinion, it's not a good let's get ready for hunting song. Sorry. I probably pissed a lot of people off. I don't care. <laughs> Second. It's a classic though, man. Yeah, I don't care if it's classic. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic because it, what? It's the only song that ref, like t- they talk about hunting and it's called Fred Bear. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. I'm not, no. I, I, don't, I don't feel it. Okay. I don't right. feel it. So anyway. So- so what's your better alternative? So that you can I'm not recommend? I'm not the guy who's like blah, 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 you know like metal is out. For me country western it mostly is out. I want some like really mellow tiptoeing type stuff. So Now hold they're... on. This this isn't what you listen to. This is the song that would play as you triumphantly head to your stand as if you were walking to the plate. Yes. Yes. And when I'm heading to the plate to the tree stand i'm not looking to headbang i'm not looking to get crazy fired up i'm i'm ready to get focused all right so one song that comes to mind neil young cortez the killer <laughs> i don't know if i know that one off the top of my head yeah because it was made probably before your dad was born yeah i was gonna say uh, <laughs> 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 okay so neil young cortez the killer okay or their um Anything off the album, uh, what what album is it? It's the Black Keys, uh, and it's the album um, Brothers. So I like that whole album. So those are just two examples of just like some 
bum 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 and then the most uninspiring solo. music ever <laughs> i know just like some real laid back chill music you know, it's not. Let me guess. You're going to be like, blow sticks and shit on the way to the stand. <laughs> no, that's like my everyday life, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got fires. Yeah, I got to. I got to change it up for the tree stand. But basically, my walk up song to my office every day would be. <laughs> 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 um, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but yes. You, as you know, and as many people, past listeners know, I like some good EDM dance and techno music. That's like my pre-hunt truck drive music that I listen to. Yeah. Yep. Um, But I think for my walkout song, I would have to steal a page out of the book of my alma mater and play the song that they play when the football team runs out into the field. Because like just that moment for me in college, like every time that happened... When the players come out and they play this song, it just gets me so amped up. And that is Thunderstruck by ACDC. Um, that song, heading walking up to the walking up to the plate, would get me fired up and ready for uh, a cold front on November fourth. Yeah. So uh, I think that would have to be my pick. Oh. But I'll try Cortez the Killer, or Cortez the Coronado, or whatever the heck that thing's it's called. Neil Young, and the song is Cortez the Killer. Okay, I'll I'll give that. A, Try, and, and we'll see how that works for me. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> Thanks, man. <yeah>. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, dude, awesome elk hunt. I'm happy it was fun. Um, and I don't know if we'll be if I'm going to be able to record one. Let's try to record one before my elk hunt next week. Um, but if not, hopefully I'll have a story on that soon. So oh, yeah. that's it for me, buddy. And that's it for the show, too. So thank you for listening. Uh, my usual couple of reminders, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to the Wired Hunt YouTube channel. I got the video of my last day hunting in Montana up on there so you can see that whole hunt. Check that out. Give it a like. Give it a subscribe. I would appreciate that so much. And otherwise, you know, the one other thing I meant to mention is that Dan actually did a full three-part series about his elk hunt, and I believe it was it was with... Adam and Ryan, the guys he hunted with, he did that over on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. So if you want more details about that, be sure to check out his podcast there. Otherwise, stay tuned for more. It's going to be an exciting few weeks coming up here with uh, elk and the Michigan season kicking off, the Iowa season kicking off for Dan. So hopefully we'll have some good stories for you on that front as well. Until next time, I guess I will just leave you by saying thank you again. Good luck on your seasons as well, and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. 
you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.